Here is another powerful message from New Vision Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. To hear the rest of this series and others, join us at newvisionlife.com. Well, let me say good morning to those watching online. We are so glad that you are a part of what God is doing amongst this body. We are going to continue and close out our series called The Living Light Today. And what we're going to talk about is a subject matter that most of us will not be excited about, but I think is a very necessary conversation that we have. We've been talking about all the different ways that Jesus has invited us to live life. And today we're going to talk about choosing sacrifice over comfort. Now, even when I say that, as those words roll off my lips, I go, I don't want to choose sacrifice and suffering over comfort. Are you kidding me? But what is necessary is to have this discussion because each and every one of us at some point, maybe currently right now, are going to have to walk through suffering, sacrifice, and pain. And it's not fun, but maybe today we can reframe it and reshape it in a way that we know even though we're going to walk through that, God is in the business of leveraging that for his good and for his glory. And so if you would go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, and we're going to begin in verse number one, and it says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So Paul is writing to this community of believers in Rome, and he is encouraging them to offer their lives, to offer themselves as a living sacrifice. And the community in which he is talking to very much understood sacrifice, because there were many religious practices at the time that would even sacrifice human beings to their little G gods. And so this community was very familiar with this word sacrifice. And what he is saying is we have been called because of who invites us and who calls us to offer our lives as a living sacrifice. What he is saying is every facet of our lives we surrender to God to lead us, to guide us, and we don't hold anything back. We offer all of those things to him, even if it means we have to walk through pain, suffering, and struggle. And so when Paul writes that, you go, wow, a living sacrifice. One of my former pastors said this, the problem with a living sacrifice is we have the tendency to crawl off the altar. Let me say that again. The problem with a living sacrifice is we have the tendency to crawl off the altar. This is so true of me. Why are there moments where we will offer our lives as a living sacrifice and we go, Lord, I fully surrender, whatever that means. But then there are other moments where we go, no, 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 I need to get off this altar. And let me tell you what it is for me. For me, the thing and the obstacles that stand in the way of me fully surrendering and fully following the Lord and for me to walk wherever he is leading me because I am afraid that whatever he is calling me to is going to be painful. 
I'm afraid that if he invites me to do something, I might consider the cost too high. And so sometimes I have the tendency to just be okay and just have a normal walk and not fully say yes to all the things the Lord's invited me into. Why? Because I feel like somehow in my brain that if I can just kind of not fully accept all the invitations, then maybe I can avoid the pain. Here is what is true. The pain is not going to be avoided. Why? Because the world is broken. And so because we live in the midst of a broken world, pain is not going to be avoided. So even though we think, well, maybe if I don't fully surrender all things to God, then it won't be as painful, we are fooling ourselves. And here's what is true about the painful things and the suffering we will walk through. There are things that can only be built through the refining fire of suffering. There are things that need to be built within us and through us that the only way you can build those things is not just when everything is convenient and not when everything is pleasant, but sometimes the only way to build what is necessary is to walk through the suffering because our God is good at leveraging the broken things and making things new and changing things. And so even though we go, man, I don't know about that, God is into leveraging all things for his glory. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. God is in the business of leveraging all things for his glory and using all things in our lives to make us more like himself. He'll use the good, he uses the bad, he uses the ugly, but here's the thing, he uses them all. And as I think through that, I'm like, oh, he uses all the good things. Bringing glory to God can happen through pleasure and comfort, and it can also happen through suffering and sacrifice. And let me go ahead and tell you this. If someone told you earlier on in the faith that, hey, you say yes to Jesus, everything will be a walk in the park, everything will always be wonderful, they lied to you. Now, and I, and I could have, like, framed it nicer, but I'm not, uh-uh. God never promises that everything will be easy. What does he promise? That he will be in the midst of the struggle and in the midst of the fire. But he never said you would avoid it. And as we survey God's word, we see that most of the people he used, he walked through very fiery circumstances to get to a place that they needed to be. And so hear me. It is not easy. Some of you are like, amen, bro, you preaching. It is not easy, but here is the good news in that. In spite of the brokenness, in spite of the pain, God is doing a work. God is leveraging the pain and leveraging the brokenness, and he is creating some order in the midst of the chaos. But if we were to be honest with ourselves, we have gotten pretty good at pain avoidance, haven't we? Like, just survey your life. Think about all the ways you try to add comfort to your life and try to avoid painful things. Some of you are like, Nick, I don't know what you're talking about. Good, I'll give you some examples. (laughs) Let's say next time you go to the dentist and you need to get a cavity filled. Yeah, he's getting real, huh? Not one of us, and myself included, will go, you know what? Do without the shots. Let me fill it all. No, if you said that to the dentist, he would think you crazy, right? 
Or this, when I got my hips um, replaced, I, I didn't look at the anesthesiologist and go, you know what, bro, just give me a bullet to bear down on. No, knock a brother out. No, I want to wake up feeling happy. Why? Because we all have a bend towards covering the pain and not walking to and through the pain. Think about it. When you have an ailment or something, what's the first thing we do? Give me some Tylenol. Why? Because we don't want to feel the pain. Do you know that Tylenol does not heal you? <gasps> some of y'all's mind just got blown. No, no, no. Tylenol has no healing factors other than, it, other than the fact it can bring your fever down, which a fever is a sign that something's wrong in your body. So think about this for a second. We are trying to stop a fever that is letting us know that something is wrong because we don't want the fever because the fever is not good. And we don't want the pain from working out even though the pain is a sign that God is doing something or that you're doing something or you're growing. Like, we don't want that. But here's the thing. The pain is necessary. Let me say that again. The pain is necessary. Because we can continue to medicate the pain, but it's never going to provide healing. And most of us, when we reach for that medication for the pain, it's in ways that are not healthy for us anyways. But the invitation from our good king is, hey, let's walk through the pain and I will go with you and I will use this for good. I will leverage this for good. I will use this in a way to build something in you that is necessary for the next leg of this journey. I was on a plane this week and I was reading one of my favorite authors who is Paul David Tripp and he wrote this thing that I think frames this up in a great, great way. And a lot of times when I read stuff, I'm like, man, I wish I would have said that. And so in this moment, I'm going to give Paul David Tripp the credit, but next time I say it, I said it. So just so you know that. Here's what he says. God has chosen to let you live in this fallen world because he plans to employ the difficulties of it to continue and complete his work in you. This means that those moments of difficulty are not an interruption of his plan or the failure of his plan, but rather an important part of his plan. I think there are times for many of us when we cry out for God's grace and we get it, but not the grace that we're looking for. We want the grace of relief or release, and we get those in little pieces, but largely they are yet to come. What we all really need right now is the grace of transformation. God's grace is not always pleasant. It often comes in the form of something we never would have chosen to go through if we were controlling the joystick. We all need to teach and encourage one another with the theology of uncomfortable grace. Because on this side of eternity, God's grace often comes to us in uncomfortable forms. It may not be what you and I want, but it is precisely what we need. God is faithful and he will use the brokenness. And then Jesus in front of an audience in Mark chapter 8 verse 34 says this. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Can we pause right here for a second? 
What Jesus is inviting the crowd into is something that the crowd does not want to walk into. They knew what he was saying. They knew that a cross was used for torture, everybody. So Jesus goes, hey, use the instrument of torture and follow me. Uh-uh. That does not sound like a pleasant invitation. But here was the invitation that Jesus was given. See, in this world, you will have trouble. I'm inviting you to take that trouble, to bear it, and follow me, and surrender it to me, and I will use it and leverage it for my glory and for your good. That was the invitation. And you go, well, Nick, I don't, how do you get that from that? Here's what I know, because cross, Jesus bared his cross, and what happened three days later, everybody? He got up. And so your pain, your suffering is not the end of the road. It's just a part of the journey. But the question is, are you going to release, surrender, and walk through wherever God may be leading, even when it's not fun, convenient, or pleasant? Because we know at the end of the day that he is building something necessary in us that we need for the journey, and he is making us more like himself through the refining fire of suffering. Verse 35. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Jesus did this so often. I know you have heard it been said, but I say unto you. And here he is again going, hey, I know you have heard it this way, but I'm going to flip it on his head and I'm going to change it. Whoever wants to gain his life will hold it with open hands. Whoever wants to lose his life will hold on it with tight clenched fist. See, we deny our good in order to take up God's best. And that will sometimes lead us to walk through suffering. Here's the deal, everybody. We just have to look upon the life of Jesus. There are some really pleasant moments. There are some really hard moments. But ultimately, they were leveraged for the best good. Joni Erickson Tata says this. I love her. But this quote just, it's hard for me to swallow. She ended up being paralyzed, and she was able to write this. I've learned that you can't wear a crown unless you bear a cross. That if our Savior had learned obedience through suffering, we should expect the same. But if we're honest, sometimes we don't expect that. Sometimes we feel entitled to this easy way and this easy life, and then when we don't get it, we get angry with God. But the truth of the matter is God invites us to just walk with him, and when you walk with Jesus, you have to go where he goes. That means we walk through stuff he walked through, but he is leveraging that and using that. Paul wrote a letter to the church at Colossae in chapter 1 of the book of Colossians, verse 24, he says this, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Can we pause for a second? I'm going to give us all an opportunity to be real. Have you ever been reading God's word and you read a verse and you just go, that's dumb. Mm-mm. Let's just be real. Like when I read that verse, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. I go, uh-uh, Paul, something wrong with you. Like, who in the world rejoices in sufferings? And there are times where I read stuff that Jesus says, and I go, you got to get out of here. That's the only way you can say that because you were fully God. And then he goes, well, I was fully man too. And I'm like, 
Don't say that part. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh. I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. What Paul is saying, I rejoice in my suffering, is because he had the right perspective on suffering. See, as he is walking through all that he endured and all that he walked through, he kept an eternal perspective. See, he knew that the pain was not the end of the road. He knew that his father was going to use it for good and for his glory. And so even as he's walking through the suffering, through the beatings, through the pain, through all the things, he kept fixing his eyes again and again and again on the author and perfecter of our faith. He kept an eternal perspective. So that's why when he says, I rejoice in my sufferings, because he goes, listen, I don't enjoy the suffering. I'm not celebrating the suffering, but I know that God's not going to waste the suffering. So that's why he could rejoice in his sufferings, not because he just liked suffering, but because he knew that God was going to leverage it and use it for his good and for God's glory. C.S. Lewis says this. Pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. I don't like that quote because I have found it to be true in my own life. I've talked a little bit about my dad and I's relationship um, growing up. Me and my dad did not have a great relationship growing up. And the heart of the problem was I wanted my dad's time and my dad gave me provision. And so there would be times when my dad was working two jobs and he would provide clothes on my back and he would provide food on the table and electricity for the house. But at the end of the day, all I really wanted was just to talk and to be with him. I didn't want stuff. I just wanted him. And for him, the way he knew to love me was to give me stuff and provide. That was him loving me, but I did not receive that. And so at a very early age, there was this kind of wedge in our relationship. And the older I got, the more the bitterness started to take root in my heart. And then my brother is cut from the same cloth that my dad was, likes to work hard, always going. And I saw that my dad and my brother's relationship was something I longed for. They would laugh together. They would work together eventually. And I thought to myself, I wish he could love me like he loves my older brother. But that never happened. And years kept going by and bitterness got deeper and deeper and deeper. And I remember early on in my marriage... I remember having a conversation with Laura, and I said something to the effect of, I don't think my dad will ever be around for our grandkids, and I'm okay with that. And the reason I said that, because it was easier for me to not have him in the picture than to try to engage him and feel like I had to work to earn his love. And I just said, whatever. And so about five years ago, I'm at a retreat. Me and my dad's relationship is not where it needed to be. And I get a phone call from my stepsister, and she says, hey, Nick, it's your older brother, Tony. He got killed in a motorcycle accident. And I remember feeling a pain. It was like a lightning bolt to my heart. 
And I remember also thinking to myself, God, what are you doing? Have you fallen asleep? I'm at a retreat leading students for your glory and for your sake, and you're not keeping your end of the deal, God. What is going on? And I remember I sat there in that moment, and I wept with my buddy who was there with me, and I had another friend come and pick me up, and I went home, and my sweet, sweet wife just cried with me. And immediately after hearing that news, I remember thinking to myself, I need to call my dad. But if I'm honest with you, I thought, I don't know if I want to, because what do I say? So I called him, and I said, Daddy. And he said, Nick, I don't know what to do. And my dad was crying. My dad was not a crier. I had only seen him cry one other time when his father passed away. He said, Nick, I don't know what to do. And I said, I'm coming. So after I made it home, I drove to Atlanta and I went to my dad and my mom's house and my dad came out of the driveway and I remember him walking towards me with his arms and I remember him just crying. And I was like, who is this guy? I don't know what's going on. I don't know how to respond to this. So then my mom and my dad and myself had to drive to Charleston and do all the things you have to do when someone dies so suddenly. And I remember as we're having meeting after meeting, talking about how to send my brother home well, all the things my dad kept going, Nick, what do you think? Nick, what do you think? Nick, what do you think? And I remember driving home and he said to me, Nick, I'm so glad you're with me. Nick, I'm so glad that you're with me. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't know how to receive this. I was getting ready to go back home to gather my stuff and my family, and my dad said, hey, Nick, you know I want you to speak at your brother's funeral. I want you to send your brother home. And I didn't know what to do with that. My dad was asking me to be such a key role in sending my brother home. What is going on? So I remember the day of the funeral. I remember it so vividly. I remember walking in behind my dad. I'm holding my wife's hand, and I'm so nervous, and I'm thinking to myself, there is no way I'm going to be able to get through this. And I remember sitting next to my dad, and he said to me, Nick, you don't have to do this. Nick, you don't have to do this. Nick, you don't have to do this. But I wanted to do it. And I remember going up on the pulpit, and I remember beginning to speak. And I don't remember what I said, but I know it was awesome, y'all. And I remember I finished saying whatever it is I had to say, and I remember kept looking at my dad, looking at my dad. And I remember when I was done, I began to walk down steps very similar to these, and my dad did something that I did not expect. He stood up. No one else was standing up, but he stood up, and he stepped out in the aisle, and he just did this. And he just lifted up his arms, and he invited me to come and rest. And I remember in that moment, I just went and I melted in my daddy's arms. Fast forward to a couple of weeks ago, our kids were on spring break and I thought to myself, I'm going to call my dad and I'm going to see if he wants us to come and visit. Hopefully I can um, let him keep my kids as me and Laura go have fun without them. <laughs> Full disclosure, y'all, I just want y'all to be on. I just want to be honest. Like, hey, daddy, how are you? Can you keep my kids? Anyways. So we were going to go down on Monday, and my son's birthday happened to be on that following Tuesday, and I told him, hey, man, is it okay if we come, and on Tuesday, me and Laura go and spend the night in the hotel and just have fun, have some time alone, and he's like, well, I think that's fine. He's like, 
But he did a very smart thing. He said, let me ask your mama. Uh, wise, wise, do that, fellas. And, of course, my mom said, bring the babies. That's how she is. So we brought the babies, and we ate with them, and we hung out. And my dad was like, hey, what kind of cake does Jackson like? We want to get him a cake. We're going to sing happy birthday. And then we're going to have cake for breakfast before y'all leave. And I have a couple of surprises for him. Then we're going to go bowl. And I'm thinking to myself as my dad is talking, who are you? This is not the human I grew up with. This is, I don't know, I don't know what has happened to you, but this is not normal. And he is so excited, and we sing happy birthday, and we, they eat the cake and everything. I'm just going, what is going on? Laura and I go, and we hang out, and we just gallivant around Atlanta. And that next day, I call my dad because I'm like, okay, you know, the time limit's ticking. Let me call him and rescue him from our kids. And, um, I call him and I say, hey, daddy, let us eat breakfast. We'll come over. And he says, I got it. Your mama went to work this morning. I'm about to take him to the Waffle House. (laughs) By yourself? Yeah, they're good. All right. And then he goes, and then I want to take him to a playground. We're going to play for a little bit. And then I want to take him to the rec center. I want to teach him how to play ping pong and do a little air hockey. And I'm like, who are you? So we eventually get back home, and my dad, when we walk in, just goes, you know what? Next time, you should let them stay a little longer. Okay. <laughs> and then we get in the car, and y'all, I'm, I'm counting in this place of like, what is going on? And like, I've seen the Lord redeem our relationship, but whoa. So we're sitting in the car, and my kids are... Right in the back seats, and my kids have little blankies um, that they take with them in the car and when they're sleeping, and, and me and my wife are in the front seats, and Ava Grace is in the back. Ava, my oldest, 10 going on 40. She's in the back, and she takes her blanket, and she just breathes it in. And she goes, I love this smell. Smells like granddaddy and grandmommy's house. And I'm driving the car. I'm like, keep it cool, Nick. Keep it cool. (laughs) And the reason she loves the smell of their house is because it reminds her of them. And in that moment, in the way that only the Holy Spirit can do, he goes, hey, Nick. You know, that painful thing of your brother's death, this is me using it for good. Because I know that my relationship with my father would not be where it is, and my relationship with my kids would not be where it is, unless we walk through the painful, refining fire of death. Hear me. The story is not just unique to me. Our good father desires to do that in each and every one of our lives. Now hear me. I'm not saying that the relationship will be reconciled. I'm not saying that the diagnosis will be reversed. I'm not saying that. I don't know what your story is, but this is what I am saying. I'm saying either on this side of glory or on the other side of glory, the Lord is going to leverage it. 
the Lord is going to use it to build something in you. And he's going to work it out for good. And he's going to use it for his glory. And you might go, but Nick, I just am not sure I believe that. Just go back to the cross. When the followers of Jesus were in this moment of, I never thought we would be here. He said he was king. He said he was savior. What is going on? See, they were in the middle of the process. It wasn't complete yet. See, because they could have very easily threw their hands up and walked away on Saturday morning, but they would have missed out on Sunday. Hear me. Hear me, friends. Don't give up on the process. And don't buy into the lie that your father is not good because he is. Because Sunday is coming. Why? Because it came. And so he will use it and leverage it. Joni Erickson Tata says this. Suffering provides the gym equipment on which my faith can be exercised. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth, There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. The benefit of suffering and sacrifice is that we become more like Jesus. Everyone, that's the end goal. Why? Why is the end goal becoming more like Jesus? Because for us, in order for us to be the best friends, employees, neighbors, you fill in the blank, we have to be more like Jesus. The world doesn't need more of us. It needs more Jesus. And the refining fire that God sometimes chooses to use is the suffering and the pain and the sacrifice in order that we become more like Jesus. One of my favorite verses in the entirety of the biblical narrative is this. Romans 8:28. And we know that for those who love God all things work together for good. How do we know that? We know it by looking at the lives of the saints that have gone before us. We know that that looking at Jesus' obedience and walking through the crucifixion. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. To live light is to accept the invitation from the king to get in the yoke with him. See, as I have read this and the Lord's been doing a work in my own heart, on Thursday night, Todd, our student pastor, spoke and he used the illustration of Band-Aids and I picked these up on the way in today and it's a variety pack, so if you hurt yourself on the bulletin this morning, I got you. 
But what I think is, I think the invitation from Jesus is not the invitation to come and get some Tylenol, which is temporary, or come and cover the pain with unhealthy things. I think more the invitation is to come to me, let me see where you are hurt and wounded, and let me put the balm of my grace and mercy on it, and let us walk together and let us be healed. See, the temptation is to reach for the Tylenol, but really I think the goal is to receive the Band-Aid. With the Band-Aid, you still feel the pain, but healing does come because there's a covering over it. And because Jesus in his goodness has covered all things in his blood, healing is coming. It is not yet complete, but it is coming. It'll be fully complete on the other side of glory, but know that our good Father is leveraging and using the pain, the brokenness for our good and for his glory. So maybe for you today, you find yourself in one of the darkest parts of your life that you've ever experienced. Maybe it's financial pain. Maybe it's relationship pain. Maybe it's physical pain or illness. Maybe the diagnosis was not good. I don't know it. But I know that each and every one of us in here and watching online are walking through some sort of it. And so here's the invitation. So come to the altar, surrender those things, and allow the Lord to use it and leverage it for our good and for his glory. So maybe for you, that's, hey, I've never heard this goodness of the gospel about Jesus overcoming death by surrendering his life and overcoming the grave. And because he did that, he paid my payment of all the wrong I have ever done. And he offered to me freely if only I am willing to accept it. Maybe the invitation for you today is to take the hurt, take the brokenness, take the unforgiveness, and surrender it on the altar so that you maybe, just maybe, can live light. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a prayer over you. Then our team's going to lead us in an invitation of coming to the altar. And I don't know what that means to you, but the Holy Spirit is able to let you know what that means. So if you would, I want you to bow your heads for me. This is a prayer taking out the journal of a king that Jesus was in the line of. This is the prayer of a king who God said, he has my heart. It says this in this prayer. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we'd like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. We meet at 820, 940, and 11 a.m. If you would like more information or would like to watch or listen to more of our services, please visit us online at newvisionlive.com. This broadcast is brought to you by New Vision Baptist Church, where our mission is guiding people to lives of gospel transformation.